0: I am Dean Becker, your host. Our goal for this program is to expose the fraud, misdirection, and the liars whose support for drug war empowers our terrorist enemies, enriches barbarous cartels, and gives reason for existence to tens of thousands of violent U.S. gangs who profit by selling contaminated drugs to our children. This is Cultural Baggage. Hi, friends. I am Dean Becker, Reverend Most High. Thank you for being with us on this edition of Cultural Baggage Show. We've got two guests for you today. Uh, two of my oldest friends within drug reform. I met them, uh, I don't know, uh, right after I met uh, Al Robinson, and became aware that there were other people on the planet who believed in ending the drug war. And uh, I met them at a little conference they held here in Houston. They were on... I think a national tour with uh, uh, some other folks, trying to educate folks like me, motivate us, get us moving. And with that, I want to go ahead and uh, bring in this uh, couple that uh, has been together for umpteen years now, working together to educate good folks like you and me. And with that, I want to welcome Miss Mickey Norris and Mr. Chris Conrad. Hello. How are you
1: doing, folks? Hi, good to be here, Dean. Nice to see you.
0: Yeah, and we've been
2: together for forty some years now, forty-three years. Married thirty-three of them, and and happy the entire time.
0: Well, and 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 just an exemplary couple, as far as I know. I mean, I I I'm well aware of your commitment to the truth, to reality, to uh, I don't know, just bringing America back to uh, um, a more constitutional state, if you will. Is that a good summation there?
1: Well, one of our wedding vows was to try to work to to make the world a better place together so yeah that, that's part of our commitment
0: yeah well, go ahead
2: chris no I say uh, she's right you know we 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 met at a political event and uh so that was kind of important because it you know uh if you're with somebody who's not interested in the same politics as you are then it can be uh, a little hu huff- tough on relationship, uh, especially when one of you wants to be particularly active. And and uh, we've both been active for a long time. Although I got to tell you, Dean, that since uh, we legalized cannabis in California in 2016, uh, we've slowed down quite a bit, mostly to a big extent because of all the court work I used to be doing. Uh, and, uh, you know, those, those cases, people aren't getting busted here in California. I don't know about in Texas, but in California, there's not much, by the way, people getting arrested for marijuana. It's business offenses, mostly, you know, they didn't pay their... They didn't register their business properly, or they weren't in an area that was allowed or something like that.
0: Well, and, and that is the half of it, that there's still nuances or parameters of drug laws that that still impact uh, uh, cannabis use. And, and uh, one of those, and I think it even happens in California, is that a parent can get caught in a car with a child and some cannabis, and that can still complicate your life, or is that still a problem in California? It wouldn't be that much of a problem in California.
2: It's just a question of whether it's an open container or if it's in a closed container. And a closed container can be a Ziploc bag, so that's closed. So it has to be sealed, you know. Uh, so, uh, but but there's in California, you're allowed to drive around with up to an ounce of marijuana in your uh, in your vehicle as long as it's in a uh, closed container. And okay. also
1: uh, in Prop sixty four, our legalization measure here that we passed in twenty sixteen, also included some protections for uh, medical marijuana patients as parents that they they uh, will not be criminalized for for their use either so at least
2: that, you know, but something that you, you said that I wanted to, to spin off a little bit, though, Dean, is uh, about it's legal, but there's still some nuances. It's kind of like, you know, it's legal to drive a car, but you still have to follow the rules. And and that's kind of where marijuana is in California. Uh, and some of the rules uh, have, have pretty strict uh, penalties attached to them. But uh, compared, we got rid of nine felonies when the voters changed the law here and turned those into misdemeanors. And I think they added one misdemeanor somewhere along the line, but really they, uh, uh, it, may, it makes a huge difference on that. And, and that also brings up another little thing that, you know, since we've been in this so long and, and you have as well, is that uh, in the early days, it's like everyone was on the same page because y'all we said, well, we got to change these laws. But then once you start actually changing the laws, then people start to have different opinions about how those laws are supposed to work. And so uh, we found that the closer we got to legalization, the more difficult it was to keep the movement working together. And, and there was a lot of um, animosity towards the end in different factions to the movement uh, up to legalization.
0: Well, and that is whose bread's getting buttered. There's uh, a lot of the uh, situation who's, I don't know, what county they're in. In Texas, that makes a big difference. But what the local constabulary is like or whatever that it it sometimes impacts the way they're treated in a town uh can towns still vote on whether they want dispensaries within their confines these days as well i mean it it still has some uh, pluses and minuses right yeah that's
2: that's definitely an issue there um and uh, you know i remember as a kid growing up in maryland uh that was you know in the in the 60s So it's like pretty much like uh, 30 years after, uh, 30 or 40 years after alcohol prohibition had ended, but nonetheless, we had dry counties uh, and we also had people up in the hills making bootleg uh, liquor, uh, moonshine. And so, uh, you know, it's like 30 years after there were still some of those leftover effects of alcohol prohibition. So I anticipate, and that was all done in like in one stroke more or less across the whole country, you know, because with done constitutionally, unlike the marijuana laws, which were done uh I would say in an unconstitutional way because I don't think the Congress really had the authority to do what it did when it banned cannabis. But uh and certainly the DEA is not following the guidelines it was given, which is it's supposed to like, you know, keep track of the science and regulate uh the drugs on the controlled substance list according to the science, but that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing them kind of arbitrarily keeping marijuana in a in a difficult position, uh, even though they know the same science as we know, Dean, <laughs> that it's it's not, and they're seeing the same demographic results of legalization. So they know it's not true, but they still have to like, uh, for their own, I don't know, I say to preserve their own power, they have to continue to act like they think marijuana is dangerous.
1: But, but to your question, the um, our legalization measure did give the authority to local jurisdictions to make their own laws, and the voters can chime in as well. So that's a big problem in California and with the illegal grows that we and the illegal dispensaries that we have here is that they're popping up in a lot of them are popping up in areas that have banned uh cannabis commerce in their in their areas in some ways. So they're having a problem. It's better to regulate it, to legalize it, to to give, to create regulations so that they'll follow the laws and and, uh, not have the problem that some of these illegal dispensaries are doing that are undermining the legal ones because they they're not paying their taxes. They're not following the same regulations. And uh, so we need more counties and cities to get on board with it if they want to mitigate the issues that they're having with the illegal. Uh, commerce or growers or, or dispensaries that have popped up,
2: and there's also a gap in the way that this the initiative was written. It was said that the different uh, localities, uh, they are supposed to be keeping a record and showing how their policy has reduced illegal marijuana activity. Now, as you and I both know, Dean, it's like if it's illegal to sell, if there's no legal place to buy and sell marijuana, people are gonna do it illegally. And so in my opinion, any place that does not have access to a legal outlet is encouraging the illegal market because that's the only market they're allowing to exist. And so uh, the problem was that the initiative didn't really set up a mechanism to enforce that. And as far as I know, the attorney general's office has not even been collecting the data they're supposed to from these counties about what's happened to their uh, marijuana crime rates. I mean, the marijuana crime rates went down because a lot of things are not crimes anymore. But as far as illegal sales of marijuana, uh, it's it's a question of felony versus misdemeanor. But they're supposed to be keeping records and they're really not. And, And I kind of want to contrast that in a way with what I hear is going on in Texas, which is where uh five or so different cities have decrimmed and now AG Paxton is going to force them try to force them to recriminalize. And uh here, you know, here it is, uh we're in a little bit different situation where the state is supposed to be forcing these cities to take action to reduce the illegal market and they're not enforcing that part of the law.
0: No, uh, yeah, the Paxton I he he got off on his felony um just a couple of months ago. Uh, they, it was just some sort of a governmental blessing they gave him or something. I, I just really, bleh. but anyway, uh, yeah, Texas. Has, <laughs> well, we, so apparently some people have to break laws and other people are not. Right. And, and, uh, as far as Texas goes, we do have wide disparities. You talked about the five or six cities. My city, Houston has had it in place for, well, years now. I don't know. I can't tell you five years, six years. I think we've had the misdemeanor marijuana diversion program in place, you can have up to four ounces of weed. Uh, you won't get arrested. They'll give you a ticket. You have to take a class. If you ha- if you're a working man, you have to pay a hundred bucks. If you're not, well, you just take the class and you can go do it again and again. <laughs> uh, that's that's thanks to the district attorney Cam Hogg, here. Who, you know, uh, they're trying to challenge her right now on the election. And right. And here in California,
2: uh, anybody adult over 21 can have one ounce. uh, But in order to have four ounces and carry it around, you're supposed to have a doctor's approval Uh, and then you can carry up to eight ounces and you can actually carry more than that. But they can arrest you. And then you have to fight it in court if you have more than eight ounces and you're you're a licensed patient. But for like Mickey, there's two of us. So at any given time, we can have two ounces
0: on us. And, and that's well and good, but it also belies the fact that you could have a trunk full and it's not going to kill you or Mickey or the people around you. And it's it's like you can go buy a, a, a tanker, you can go buy a truckload of beer or whiskey or anything you want and you can haul it around legally. Uh, I, I, it's just part of the preposterous nature of these drug laws. Um, yeah, there's a whole arbitrary aspect when you start enforcing people's lifestyle. Yeah. And I didn't quite finish my point here in Texas. We, you, we do have the one city, Houston already has the misdemeanor marijuana diversion program. As you say, five or six others are considering it. And then there are other cities around the state where if you have one uh, vape cartridge, you can get fined $50,000 before they'll let you out of jail. So it it is it's just uh, the hypocrisy is, is more than a mile high is all I can say. Your response, please.
1: Well, I like to kind of compare it to some of the, you know, arguments, uh, the pro gun arguments that we hear out there that they don't want to blame many of the, they don't want to blame the the, the gun, the, or the the gun yeah, or the yeah. manufacturer. They want to blame the the person, and I th- I think uh, with cannabis they want to blame the cannabis. They they think it's so dangerous that you can't trust the person at all. You know, so it's like that that kind of hypocrisy really gets me if they if they are programming to be pro cannabis rights as well mm-hmm.
2: and it makes this whole uh kind of a pro-russia movement that's going on in the country right now fed by social media seem especially weird to me because you've got this like uh, the basketball player was looking at 15 years in hard labor because of having a vape cartridge with her. And Navalny, yeah. right, he got killed for running against the president, you know. And so uh, to, for, you know, the, the penalties for marijuana in uh, Russia are extremely severe, work camps and stuff like that. And uh, yet we hear a lot of people kind of saying like, well, you know, uh, Putin's not such a bad guy. Well, he just murders a poet. You know, that's a pretty bad guy. Definitely.
0: <laughs> well, the, yeah, the, the political landscape in America is, is, has been, someone threw a grenade in there. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's just really a mess at this point. I, I well, one have, of the
2: interesting things on that though is Dina is how much unity there still is for the legalization of cannabis of all the disunity that's going on in different subjects we do have one issue here and now it actually seems to be spreading into other psychedelic drugs which uh you know Mickey and I are not activists in other other psychedelics but that definitely seems to be the case and if you just heard Laura was volker saying that you know the federal Laura. government, Nora. Nora Volker that the federal government needs to start uh, that they're finally in a position where they can start doing more uh, harm reduction uh, and denouncing Nixon's uh, client claims about marijuana. Uh, but yet, you know, she hasn't like take the net real step. They put, said marijuana should be in Schedule Three, and even though it should not be on the schedule at all, so you know, she still wants to keep it uh, falsely listed.
0: Well, it's the DEA that says, well, okay, good recommendation, but we're the ultimate decider and we're the ones that are going to make uh, the decision where it winds up in the schedule. And um, that's to me, I mean, I, we had a talk uh, a week or so ago and I, I was telling you how I'm, I, I'm just, I, I don't know. I, I just, the DEA is an evil empire. That's all I know. They don't deal in reality, truth, it just, it doesn't phase them. And um, I don't know. I'll, I'll leave it there. Um, the, <laughs> here in two weeks, I'm going to interview a gentleman y'all know uh, who had a case go on for, I, I can't remember, don't have the notes in front of me, 20-something years, approaching 30 years. Mr. Charles Lynch was hassled by the, the feds. Um, he was busted. His He wound up broke. Uh, He's looking for a job now, but he finally uh, got government release on his 29, I think, year old uh, arrest for marijuana. He opened a dispensary legally, et cetera, et cetera, which happens many times in California and across the U.S. And some local uh, politician or uh, police uh, chief, who knows, decides that "Ah, I don't like what he's doing. I'm going to stop him. And despite the laws, they go ahead and start arresting them and trying to circumvent these new laws. Uh, Your thought in that regard, uh, generally across the country. Yeah, well, the Lynch case is is, is another tragic one. There's so many people, a
2: lot of people aren't aware that you could go to prison for life and you still can go to prison for life for marijuana offenses here uh when you know mickey and i like we were talking about when we first met uh that was before leap was formed and all these other things that happened along the way dean but um you know we were talking in in these kind of uh i general uh ideas about how things should should be but when mickey and i got involved in the movement it was really more of an idea than anything else i mean we didn't know people who were medical marijuana patients and needed it we didn't know people who were in prison for drugs uh, but by 1995, uh, we knew that the situation was, uh, really bad and not, not just about marijuana. And so we formed human rights in the drug order to, uh, to let people know about these cases like Mr. Lynch. And as, as we said, you know, it's not that they don't happen. It's that people don't hear about them. And, uh, so we, he was one of the people we actually featured later down the road, uh, in some of our, uh, events that we were, uh, you know, because we had uh, mobile displays that we carried around the country. And I think it, it came out to Texas a few times too. I know it was a big hit in New Mexico where the governor, after he went to see this display of criminals uh, of excuse me, of prisoners of the drug war came out. Uh that's Gary um No,
1: no, Richardson.
2: Richardson. Okay, yeah. came out in, in favor uh, in, against the drug war. Let's say that.
1: Yeah,
2: you know, I thought it was uh, but in any yeah. case. In any case, uh, yeah, there are these cases. And, you know, that's where somebody like uh, Amy Pova from uh, Can Do Clemency and uh, uh, people over with the the Freedom Grow. Freedom Grow. Yeah, there we go. Mm -hmm. uh, Are still out there doing that kind of work. I tell you, though, Dean, it's really hard on you when you're like carrying around things like that, because, you know, not only do we have these people who are looking at 29 and 50 years, multiple life sentences over drugs. But, uh, you know, when we were uh, originally starting out and uh, really active in that area, you know, we would get people contact us all the time to say, you're our only hope. And it's like, you know, we had no official capacity at all. All we could do is try to expose, you know, what was going on to them. Uh, but in a lot of cases, we were their only hope. And in a, lot, in a number of cases, we were able to actually help people. But, you know, you, there's a lot of people who just had to sit out their sentences the whole time. Yeah, you
1: know, we we thought. Back in 1995, when we launched our photo exhibit project called, originally it was called uh, Human Rights 95, Atrocities of the Drug War, where we shared the photos and the stories and lots of information of uh, of people in prison and how they got there, how the drug war is operating and what the drug laws were and the mandatory minimums and the conspiracy laws and the whole thing. Uh, Yeah, we we thought... uh, you know, it started reminding us of pre-Nazi Germany, you know, the way they were rounding up and incarcerating uh, nonviolent offenders and scapegoating people for um, for these nonviolent drug offenses and sending them away for 5, 10, 20 years in life sentences. You know, we, we first launched it then and we thought, oh, you know, people, this is America, this is the land of the free. We're not supposed to be doing this kind of thing uh, and and making the US the number one incarcerator in the world as a result of our drug policies. And when we showed it in 95, we thought, oh, people are going to uh, rise up and and say, oh, this is unacceptable in, in the United States of America. But, uh, you know, one thing we learned along the way is that social change uh, really takes a long time. Uh, things that are worth it are, can be multi-generational kind of uh, um, issues. And, and this turned out to be one of them. It, it's, it's taken a lot longer. And we had to change the name from Human Rights in 95 after we saw that it wasn't going to happen right away. But, um Fortunately, we've made a lot of progress. A lot of people have gotten clemency over the years and and released, and there were were some some changes that were made. It just takes a lot longer than than uh, we thought. but it certainly is a worthwhile cause.
2: You know two thoughts on that is that when we first did our program, uh, the exhibition of uh, Human Rights in the Drug War, it was at a United Nations event. And so we had all these pictures of people and, you know, Americans who were in prison for life sentences and, you know, five years or longer in order to get into the private. You had to get at least five years. and had to be a nonviolent offender. And so, uh, you know, the people who go through it and then at the end, when they came out the other side, they said, well, what country is doing this to all these Americans? What country is rounding up all these Americans? Is that China or Russia or who's doing that? And so you know, we said no, it's the United States doing this. He's got on US prisons. So then we had to go back and put American flags about the whole thing so the people knew that we were talking about <laughs> what's going on in America. Because Americans just don't believe the extent to which the drug war has been used against its citizenry, you know, and in, in that regard. And they don't think what happened here, but yet it's you know it's strike happening around us all the time.
0: I, I want to kind of underscore what what both of you were presenting there, and that is over the years now decades that uh, you and i have been doing this work americans have become more aware of the failures of the drug war of the i um, don't just the, the the bad side of it they're starting to see it recognize it and uh if if texas was given the chance to vote for marijuana i know it would be at least 70% but we don't move in that regard because And as part of why I do this show is to try to motivate people to take what they know and put it to use somewhere. Dare to speak up at church, at school, at work, uh, on the street corner. Just don't let this be a taboo subject anymore. We're empowering terrorists. We're enriching barbarous cartels. We're giving gangs reason to exist. We're making sure that 100,000 people are going to die because of our own stupidity. And, and it's, there's, there's a thousand other reasons, but that should be sufficient enough to make someone get up and speak more boldly, more openly about the insanity that we're living in. Uh, your response there, Mickey, Chris? Well, you know, as uh, I guess Martin Luther King talked about the slow arc
2: of uh, justice <laughs> through history, and so uh, you know, I, I I think it kind of goes to what Mickey was saying about the multi generational. Like we we back in the when we first started this, people thought it was impossible. You know, we were those people who were smoking with them. You know, fifteen years later, we were smoking with their kids, and they're saying we're starting to make progress on medical. Now here we are, fifteen years later. Uh, you know, we, we're smoking with the grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> not ours mind you <laughs> but the grandkids of the people that we started off with and and some of them are taking it for granted that it's legal they come all, you know they can't even imagine it was ever illegal and so I, I think that's another kind of a part of it Dean is that people lose track of where we're coming from uh, they forget that there's still people and they forget this is all based upon uh the injustices that have been going on for so long and they just think well the way it is now this is the way it is this is the way it's going to stay but i I'm always concerned that at any time the federal government could start Another clamp crackdown. You know, I, I don't think it's going to happen under Biden. He's been very uh, open about that. He wants decriminalization. He doesn't want people going to jail. He's giving clemencies. He's uh, eased policies. He brought the HHS, Health and Human Services, in on the issue when the DEA refused to act. He's asked Congress to pet send him bills. He's promised to sign a bill of Congress. It was sent it to him. Uh, but that doesn't mean that uh, once she's not president, that the next president can't just say, well, just screw it off. We're just going to go back and, uh, and start, you know, wiping out the legalization of these different States. And, you know, it would take a while, but I I think it's possible for them to do it.
1: Yeah. And the politicians are always behind where the people are. And the people are at now about 70% of the population of the United States, both part uh, all parties and um, are more in favor of legalization than not. So we've, We've come
0: a long way. We're going to have to start wrapping up here uh, pretty soon. I, I want to thank both of you guys, uh, Mickey and, and Chris, for your well, your decades of work, first off, and, and for being our guests today. Uh, I want to go back up. You said something about Ezekiel, bad marijuana. First page of the Bible, I think first chapter, uh, it says, God created the herbs of the field and saw that it was good. And that, to me, that's all I need. Uh, <laughs> marijuana still hasn't killed anybody, folks. I mean, what in the hell are we up to? Um, I'm going to turn it over to you guys, give you a minute or two, a minute or so uh, to wrap up here, if you would Uh, proceed, please.
2: Well, yeah, I would just uh, mention also that, you know, Mickey mentioned it very briefly that, uh, you know, I worked as an expert witness in the courts and uh, worked on like 3,000 cases or something like that, Uh, testified 300 and almost 400 times and looked at evidence hundreds and hundreds of times. And so, uh, you know, if people are in a situation where they need that kind of help, then, uh, they can, you know, reach out to me and, and I can see if I can help them at this point too. Uh, the other thing that Mickey and I've been involved in is uh, creating a historical record about cannabis to try to prevent it from being lost in its history like it nearly was. And so, you know, we wor- worked on the museum in Amsterdam. Uh, I curated the museum in Oaksterdam and now, uh, we're working with a group called the California Cannabis Historical Society to try to, uh, you know, get uh, recognition mm-hmm. to all this going on. And I, and I really want to honor all the, you know, a lot of times when we talk about it, it sounds like, well, we were doing this and like, you know, like we're being very uh, egomaniacal about it or something like that. But the reality is we know that it takes, you know, thousands of, you know, we saw from the beginning with hundreds of people then it turns to thousands and tens of thousands. I mean, it takes millions of people's voters to get behind stuff and so forth. So, you know, working on a social movement like this, uh, you know, we're always um, humbled by the number of people that are doing the kind of work that you're doing and that uh, LEAP was doing and a uh, drug policy form of Texas and all these other groups that have been out here for so long. You know, so I, I really want to make sure that people understand that, uh, you know, Chris Connor, and Mickey Norris, we've done what we've done, but we also recognize what other people do. And to encourage people, they might want to check out some of our books, uh, Hemp Lifeline of the Future, Hemp for Health, uh, marijuana, uh, you know, excuse me, uh, <laughs> human rights in the drug war, shattered mm-hmm. lives, portraits from America's drug war, uh cannabis mm-hmm. yields and dosage, and I'm uh, the newbie's mm-hmm. guide to marijuana and the
0: uh, cannabis in the industry. Just for a few of them. Uh, Mickey, you're, I'm going to have to limit you to about 30, 40 seconds.
1: Okay. Well, thanks, Dean, for this opportunity to talk to your audience and and wish you the the best of luck with it going forward it it certainly is a, a worthwhile topic for people to be informed about for people to get involved with those issues that i mentioned earlier are still out there cannabis and and hemp and um are definitely all all part of uh, the greater fabric of our, our our country and and the issues and, and social justice and civil rights and equal rights and and uh the environment and all that and and the drug war has gone on too long. People realize that it, it's failed. We're wasting a lot of money, uh, still incarcerating and going after people in this way that could be used in better ways if we if we can just uh, figure out how to uh, how to respect people's rights and and uh, legalize uh, cannabis and and regulate uh, these other drugs as well. So thank you for doing what you do.
0: Thank you, Mickey. Thank you, uh, Chris Conrad. I uh, I got less than a minute here, so I just want to wrap it up by saying I love doing this. I've never made any money. This has cost me well over one hundred thousand dollars to do this over the decades. I've been doing this for travel and well, just expenses and for well paying for the the website and all all the dang stuff. And I'm glad to do it. I'm happy to do it. it I hope I leave something behind humanity to improve themselves and move forward and that's that's uh, that's what i do and once again i remind you that because of prohibition you don't know what's in that bag and i urge you to please be careful and always remember that euphoria is a blessing not a crime to the drug truth network listeners around the world this is dean becker for cultural baggage and the unvarnished truth Drug Truth Network archives are stored at the James A. Baker III Institute for Policy Studies.